What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And today we are reviewing not Disney's Pinocchio because no. I, I, I feel like the internet has said everything that's and needed to not, be said about not the, it. not the internet's Pinocchio as well, the one that became viral for a minute. Oh, the one with, uh, with Pauly Shore? Or as my, literally the, the funniest thing of the year, which is as they called it, the yassification of Pinocchio. <laughs> Anyways, not uh, Polly Shores. What about uh, didn't um, oh, what's his name? The guy who did Life Is Beautiful. Didn't he do another so Pinocchio? You're thinking of the guy who did Gamora. Uh, he and uh, he did Gamora, A Tale of Tales, and uh, he did uh, Dog Man. Great movies. In 2019, he did an Italian version of Pinocchio. It's in Italian. Well, yeah, that... Pinocchio was originally yes. an Italian book. Yes, and that one. It's it's good in its own right. The problem is, you know, it's not so much a problem, but they use a live action actor for Pinocchio and they use like makeup and all that. And the makeup is a little odd, but it's it's still a unique version of it. It's not it's not bad. But yes, there have been a lot of recent and within this year, three Pinocchio adaptations. Okay, so yeah, you're right. This was the the, the guy who dog man Matteo Garone. But here's yes. the crazy thing. Uh, Geppetto is played by the guy who I was thinking of. Uh, Roberto, yes. Remember Roberto Benigni? Yes. Like when he was when he was like a really like hot ticket like in the mid nineties. He was because Life Is Beautiful comes out and it like it for a minute it really shocked the world. Actually, what's funny about that? So okay, not to make light of the situation, but there was a there was kind of a joke for a little while that like. All you have to do to win an Oscar is to make a Holocaust movie or a movie about the Nazis or something like that, or a World War II movie. What, there were a few movies <clears throat> that solidified that trope. One of them was the fact that was, you know, not just um, Schindler's List, but also Life is Beautiful, where they just swept through. Because in their own right, they're great movies. But yes, that was part. He that actor became huge because of that movie. Yeah, and then he promptly threw away all the goodwill because then he made his version of Pinocchio in two thousand and two. Did you ever? Did you ever see that one? I did not. Oh God, I did. It was like on Stars or HBO back in the day. Oh, God. and I remember watching it, and I'm like, why is this like middle-aged man pretending to be a kid? And yeah, it was it was it was just so weird, right? It was so so weird. And then I only hear about the 2019 Pinocchio is because they're like, oh, uh, Roberto Benigni is playing Geppetto this time. I'm like, like he should have played maybe the last time because he was so old. But anyway, yeah. anyway, so yeah, that one comes out, uh, and you heard good things. I, I, assume, I assumed it was going to be bad because it had the guy who did the god awful 2002 version. No, I know. I think everyone agreed that like it was a, it was fine, like it was solid, you know, genuinely, you know, came from a good place, well done, well shot, but pretty forgetful, I think, I, or forgettable. I never saw it, even though I actually, I think Gamora and Dogman are amazing films, and I think Tale of Tales has some incredible a weird weird movie but has some really good visuals in it um and i think overall he's a very in that director is a very interesting guy mm -hmm. um but apparently this people kind of like oh and he also did a movie called reality which was one of his earlier movies he made before i should i know way too much about this guy made, be <laughs> way, made before 
Gamora. And that movie's really good because it's about a guy who becomes obsessed with a reality TV show and sneaks onto it. It's very cool. Ladies and gentlemen, C is our resident Italian cinema uh, uh, know-it-all. Well, without saying why, listen, look, I, I, I have some heritage in that realm and I do pay attention to it. Hey, no, you, hey, listen, I, I saw Dogman. I remember thinking to myself, like, whoa, this is out there, but interesting. Well, but anyway. Oh, I love Dogman. Anyway, sorry. We're not, we're we're not, about... ta- we're not talking about Matteo Garone's uh, Pinocchio. We're talking about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, literally. Which, that's the that's, title. That's the literal title, which I think he realized he had to do that after so after the other two movies. Like, okay, I have to separate this. You know, the funny thing was, I thought he did it because he was, like, kind of playing chicken with Disney for them to call it Disney's Pinocchio. Well, keep in mind, the three of the movies have been, uh, it was, it was Pinocchio, a true story. Why? Okay. (laughs) And then it was Disney's Pinocchio. And then it's Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Well, well, Disney's Pinocchio is also just called regular Pinocchio. Um, Now it is. Yeah. But in, in any case, it's still one of those, it's still, it's still one of those things that's funny. You get that phenomenon happening so much where, like movies that are either about the same subject matter, the same historical figures, or like, or or like very similar, and always come out really close to each other, just mm-hmm. to show you the creative bankruptcy that is Hollywood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although I will, say, I uh, you know what, couldn't have put it better myself. I mean, I I always love using it, using the example of two thousand six, where there was like there were three, I mean three movies about about like weird goings on in the stage magi- magician industry, right? The Wait, illusion- there were three? Yeah, The Illusionist, okay. The Prestige, yeah. and uh, the Woody Allen one. Um, oh my God, Scoop? Scoop, yeah. Oh, Jesus, you're They right. all came out like within a month of each other. Oh, that's so, <laughs> and listen, 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 let's be clear. We know the best one of the three. We know that. Of course. It's, it's obviously Scoop. Obviously. You know, you know what? See, <laughs> I'm only what? saying that, folks, because we all know the. I know the Prestige is Al's favorite movie, but it, it okay. really is. It really Let's, is. But, okay. but back, back to Guillermo del Toro. The only thing I want, quick thing I wanted to say just about that, Prestige is the best, but The Illusionist is like pretty darn good. That's all I was gonna say. It's underrated. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. So uh, I don't remember what studio, but there was a there was a good moment in time where Guillermo del Toro was basically getting the green light on a, t- on a shit ton of projects. Mm-hmm. And then for one reason or another, they all kind of fell through. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pinocchio was one of those projects. I don't remember which studio originally gave it the green light, but this was a passion project for del Toro. He was working on and off on the script for the better part of a decade. Mm-hmm. I even want to say he started working on it, uh, probably around the time he finished devil's backbone i want to say really wow. yeah and uh essentially what happened was that you know he came to this studio which man, warner brothers universal i don't remember one I of don't them. Re- i don't remember he went up to them and said hey i want to do i i want to i want to i've written this i think it'll work really well in uh stop motion animation um can can we do this? You know, and it was pretty much going to be the same way, like how it was with uh, Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas. You had this very, this very well-known auteur with a very well-known style producing and writing this animated film. And essentially, what happened was that 
uh, <laughs> I know this is this is crazy. The studio said, "This is great. We we like who you chose for a director. We're 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 down for this, but we're not making an almost two hour long stop motion. Pic- we're not bankrolling that. So cut it down." And uh, Del Toro said, "No," which he's famous for doing. He doesn't compromise. <laughs> Which yeah, he's, he's, has been both good and bad at times. Yeah, they said no. Uh, Del Toro said no, and uh, they said, "All right, well, we're we're not going forward with this project." And in two thousand and seventeen, eighteen, right around the time he won the Oscar for uh, The Shape of Water, Netflix came up to him and said, "Hey, uh, we heard you wanted to do a Pinocchio movie. We want to do a Pinocchio movie." And uh, they moved the project over here, and uh, the rest, as they say, is his sister. Well, one other little thing. The original co-director of this film dropped out uh, for mm-hmm. reasons I don't know, and Guillermo del Toro de- decided for he himself to co-direct this along with the original director, Mark Gustafsson, who C can tell you a little bit about him. Oh, Mark Gustafsson. First of all, this man is, I think, one of the most criminally underrated stop motion animator animation directors out there in my opinion um but a lot of you would only know really one thing he did which was what was that what's that show they were they weren't the prunes what were those little characters the the raisins the raisin commercials yes he did those he did most of those that's what he's most famous for he got an emmy for it because he did like a tv special or you may be nominated for an Emmy. So that's what he's most known for. But that's, you know, that's all well and good and fine. But what's really marvelous about what he did is two things he worked on. Two really unknown works. One, don't laugh, folks, but Wizard of Oz 2. I know, I know, but guess what? It's on Disney+. Plus. And let me tell you, Al, you've seen it, right? Yeah, I've seen it. That shit is some of the scariest thing on that's one of the scariest movies on disney plus at right now yeah it's, it's yeah. T- terrifying and it's, it's really the imagery that that fucks with you well because first off dorothy almost gets electroshock therapy treatment wow a b <laughs> there's there's a lot of these animatronics slash puppetry and claymation actually multiple artists worked on it multiple various artists worked on it to make different things. It's why actually this version of, of, of Oz is so eclectic looking because you have so many different people doing it. Yeah. Um, also, it's directed by uh, Walter Murch, who, for those that don't know, is pretty much the Steven Spielberg of editors. Yes. He's edited everything from like Apocalypse Now to he, he, he was basically like the go to editor for a lot of the film filmmakers of the auteur era of Hollywood. And this was one of his few films he directed. Not many. He didn't do many, I don't think. But he also, and what was the name? Okay, you know what I'm going to mention next. Not the book it's based on, but what was the name of the actual movie uh, for where he did The Mysterious Stranger? What is the Uh, name of the movie? uh, It was on Netflix for a little while. Uh, the Adventures with of Mark Twain, I think, or the Mark okay. Twain Adventures. So this the is... The Adventures of Mark Twain, which okay. came out in 85. Yes. This is an entirely stop motion piece. It's like, what, an hour and 20 minutes? It's not very long. Yeah, it's not very long. It's this, basically the story of these kids getting on this like flying machine. That's the best way I can describe it. It's a flying ship, but it's like a honestly kind of steampunk-esque, but before steampunk got huge ship. And they travel through his different stories and his different adventures that he wrote. 
And it's unclear to me if this was meant to be made as sort of an educational piece or what, but it's a full feature film that was made. Um, but most famously, there is this se segment towards the end of the of the movie called The Mysterious Stranger, which is Mark Twain's. Is it Mark Twain's last story that he wrote? I think it is. Uh, yeah, the one he wrote right before he died. Yes. Because, he, like, his wife and his daughter died. His wife and his daughter had both died, and he went completely bankrupt. Like, he lost everything. Um, and he had nothing. He was penniless. And he wrote this last story called The Mysterious Stranger, which I have read this story after I saw this, this short. And, Al, you've read the story, right? Yeah. It's a freaky story. Basically, it's, the, it's, it's this person who comes into contact with this angel who can do anything he wants. And you basically learn that this angel is Satan. Now, in this, it's these kids coming across this angel. And what is, without a doubt, some of the most terrifying imagery I've ever seen in Claymation and really screwed up sequences happening. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. it's So, so essentially... Uh, Mark uh, Mark Gustafsson, he basically animate. Did he animate only like the Satan character? Did he animate that entire sequence? So he, I did look in. I did look this up. He, with the help of someone I do not remember, he animated the entire sequence. But he designed and completely animated himself the Satan character, and with help of some other guy who's also credited for that sequence. Um, did the rest of it because it's a very elaborate sequence. Oh yeah, whole. yeah. It's so, crazy. So, so, so essentially, essentially, Sane brings to life like these these little inanimate figures, and basically goes through like all the things about humanity that disgusts him with with those figures, and it's it's it, it's like. If, if you want to instill and then he kills the, and then he kills them all with the swipe of his hand it's freaky yeah if you want to instill fear and cynicism in a child show them that sequence and the the worst part or not the worst part but the like this was really creatively well done mm -hmm. the the figure kind of dissolves into a skull yeah right? by the way folks look look this clip this clip this clip this segment is on youtube look it up just type in the mysterious stranger claymation. You'll find it instantly. It's it's crazy. So so the 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 stranger itself as a character dissolves into just this ominous skull, and then it kind of there's like a there's like a, a, a cross dissolve where it, it just like becomes a close up of Mark Twain's face. Ugh. Oh, and it, it basically that's what makes you connection that like oh this is like a dark part of Mark Twain, which, which it is. Cause you know, he wrote all these stories. So l long story short, Marcus yeah, Stephenson. And, and here's the crazy thing. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm see, you already know this. I know you know this. Yeah. This is Marcus Stephenson's uh, film debut. It's his feature film debut. Yes. And yeah. I think I, and we'll get into this further. I'm so happy that he has been given this, this moment. Cause he, he has more than paid dues for so, it. Listen, C and I, we're film buffs, but we wouldn't call ourselves animation buffs. That's no. a whole other league of no. of movie we, nerd. We know we know an animation buff and a film buff, and I want to get him on the podcast at some point. But that's a different story. Yeah, uh, and one thing that when you would ask like any animation fan, like what's like the biggest like missed opportunity in animation, they'll always give you two names. They'll say it is a crime that Sergio Pablos and Marcus Stephenson have never made movies. 
So Sergio Pavlos yeah. was basic. He was basically in charge of animating a lot of your favorite characters during the Renaissance era of Walt Disney animation. Guys, he designed the Disney version of Tarzan. Let's be clear. Yeah, he designed the Disney version of Tarzan. He worked. He did animation on on uh, Space King. Jam. Mike Space did a bunch of stuff. And he didn't get a chance to direct his own movie until 2019 with Klaus. Also which, on Netflix. Also on Netflix. There, right? Listen, they, they found a neat... Listen, Netflix has a lot of problems. I, at this point, have to credit them for what they figured out with animation, animated features. Goddamn. They basically go like, okay, who are like the goats of animation who haven't necessarily gotten a chance to direct? And yeah. they just go like, direct. And Marcus Stephenson is the Sergio Pablos of stop motion animation animated these incredible sequences with a variety of companies never got a chance to do his own thing and you know credit to Guillermo del Toro Netflix they were like we we really want you to do this because not gonna name names mm -hmm. but there is a particular live action filmmaker out there who has done a couple of stop motion animations mm -hmm. and kind of wants to make you believe that he did the whole thing himself when in reality, like the bulk of the directing was done by the animation directors, but I'm not going to say who I'm yeah. not going to say. Or, who. And well, but here's the thing. I feel less bad because that animation director was given a chance to make his own really good, uh, stop motion film as well. Uh, I, I think you're not, Oh, I'm, I'm thinking, the wrong person. You're thinking of the wrong person, but the person I'm thinking, of, I'll put you this way. Uh, they use a lot of pastels in their work. Is who uh, I'm talking about. Okay, I know who you're talking All about. Right, cool. All right. Um, but okay, so Marcus Stephenson, one of the goats of stop motion animation. This yeah. is his feature film debut, and Guillermo del Toro did eventually relent in allowing some rewrites on his original script, but he handpicked the writer, uh, Patrick McHale. Now, for those that don't know, he was the creator, showrunner, and basically the main creative force behind Over the Garden Wall, which yes. Like, I don't know if you, if you were watching Cartoon Network in the, what was it, late 2000s? Yeah. Was that when it came out? Well, it, it kind of came out when we were in college, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Came and up, every animation student wouldn't stop talking about it. At all, right? No, at that's all. That's all they talked about. And, and you know, I, I would say Patrick McHale, having seen Over the Garden Wall, I'm like, oh, that is a perfect mix. Uh, that's a perfect, like, partnership with Guillermo del Toro because Patrick McHale does create very like over the garden wall is very mature but it's still for children it's mm -hmm. still very very much a a children's thing with like some strong themes but those themes are never so overwhelming that you'll be like i'm gonna scar the kid for life so i think this was a really good partnership mm -hmm. um and then in the cast we have ewan mcgregor as the cricket we have he does a uh, great job oh he does an amazing job uh, in fact, I think the full name of the cricket is Sebastian Cricket, I think. Because in the credits, he's only called Cricket, but I know he has like a full name. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a relative newcomer, Gregory Mann, as Pinocchio. Um, I, did I, exactly I, what was asked of him. Did exactly what was asked of him. And we'll get into what, what I think about his performance, but we have David Bradley, for all of you will know, as Walder Frey from Game of Thrones. He plays Geppetto. And he's pretty much our main lead. Would you call Pinocchio the lead or is Geppetto the lead in this? I, I say, well, it's pretty close. Let's be clear. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty, it, it's almost, it's almost shared, but Pinocchio, because he's the title character, edges out a little bit. 
Yeah, and then the rest of the cast is rounded out by Ron Perlman, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things, Kate Blanchett, who you're going to be wondering, where's Kate Blanchett? And it's going to hit you when you see the credits. You're like, wait, that was Kate Blanchett? Okay. And uh, Tim Blake Nelson and Christoph Waltz and uh, Tilda Swinton. Uh, she, she's got a pretty juicy part here. Well, Tilda Swinton has this ability to play very... Okay, I'll, we'll get into it later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how about we watch the trailer and then give our review? Yeah, let's do it. I want to tell you a story. It's a story you may think you know, but <laughs> you don't. Over there! What is that? Papa! <gasps> He's just a puppet! No, I'm not! I'm a real boy! People are sometimes afraid of things they don't know. I don't understand! Ah! We have found him! Our star! Everyone shall love you and call your name Pinocchio! Pinocchio! <laughs> I have something I'd like to give you. It is a school book which belonged to a very special boy. The boy you lost? Papa! Enough of this nonsense. Hey, where are you going? You tell him I love him. And I won't be a burden anymore. The wooden boy with the borrowed soul. While you may have eternal life, your loved ones, they do not. You never know how long you have with someone until they're gone. The boy loves you for who you are. Guide him to be good. Such a wonderful gift. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, you know, before be, you know, I, I know I normally give it to you, see, to give your go on, big, go on. Big thanks, but I just got to say, yeah. you know, as Netflix has shown us by by distributing uh, Sergio Pablo's Klaus, uh, there is a bunch of just breathtaking creativity and storytelling being told when these masters of animation are finally given their shot. To create something that's true to them maybe not necessarily like the four quadrants feel good stuff that pixar and disney and dreamworks are known to do but like listen uh when c and i saw klaus for the first time 
we we were gobsmacked that we were pro we were watching quite frankly the best animated movie of that year yeah. and uh that we were watching probably one of the best movies of 2019 overall yeah that was a weird night <laughs> that was a weird night because because we were just like i'm bored yeah i'm bored too let's watch something i'm just bored and, and by the end uh... we were sobbing <laughs> we're like no you're crying it's uh, like and, and yeah and and again i i just have to say i just have to say uh you know mark gustafinson gamble toro they've created one of one of the best animated movies of the year and it, it demands to be seen you know i I, i'm actually kind of shocked I'm, I'm not saying netflix you know kind of like dropped it without any announcement or anything it's just you know netflix has so much stuff that they just they can't make all their new releases an event anymore they're just like oh yeah, yeah. this thing released this thing released but yeah. this demands to be seen this is for me one of the best movies of the year uh you know i'm just gobsmacked over just the the passion it's brimming with passion it it it's it is as much a game of del toro film as it is a marcus gustafinson production um it's it's yeah no i mean it's uh the performances will 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 just will just wrench your heart it's it's so like if you're a fan of Guillermo del Toro and his aesthetic, this is gonna scratch that ish satisfactionally. Like, oh, it's just, yeah, th this was one of the best films I've seen, and I'm I'm a little sad that I was like I was with Klaus that I wasn't able to see this on the big screen. Like, I, I wish there was an ability to do that with these Netflix movies, but you know, it, it is what it is. But uh, Netflix only does one big screen a year. And yeah, they, they don't always pick the right one. Sometimes exactly. they do. Sometimes exactly. they do. And I'm like the best example, honestly, is when they picked Roma. That was that you had to see that on the big screen. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But sometimes they pick ones, and it's like that wasn't necessary. Yeah, yeah. I was really bummed. I was like, oh, if only I could have seen this in the big screen. Um, I told a mutual friend of ours uh, that because they have a projector, I was like, you need to watch this on the projector, and they were like, oh, okay, cool, no problem. Um, so yeah, I, like straight up, I think this is one of the one of the best films of the year. I think, I I think this is. I and I know this sounds really crazy. I think this is one of the stronger uh, films that Guillermo del Toro has brought us. Mm -hmm. I, I'm gonna say it's pretty. It's gonna be in the upper tier, not the lower tier. Mm -hmm. uh, not that I'm saying any of his stuff is bad. It's just you know, there's always ones you're saying, oh yeah, he did that too. This is definitely not one of those. This is gonna Crimson Crimson Peak is the best best example of of oh yeah, he did that. Exactly, exactly. This. If anyone tells me that, oh, Crimson Peak is better than Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, I'm going to look ah. at them and be like, you're crazy. So I'm, I'm raving about this movie. Uh, yeah. See, what, what, what were your thoughts? So in one of our, in, in our two-part premiere episode, you know, we talked about what was nominated for the Oscars at the time. And I was relatively kind toward Guillermo del Toro's previous film, um, um, why am I thinking Carnival of Souls? That's not it. Uh, the Shape of Water? No, um, the the one, the circus one. The the circus one. The one. He, what did he make after Shape of Water? Uh oh. Um, Bradley Cooper. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the one with the geek. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, I'm blanking on it too. Right. Okay. Um, no, no. Give me, give me one second. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's on the tip of my tongue. I kid. 
Uh, Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley, okay. So Nightmare Alley came out, and for lack of a better term, you were not into it. You actually really didn't like it, and that's fair. I mean, I'd seen the original. Yeah, you'd seen the original. And as I explained at the time, I didn't know there was an original. But regardless, I was relatively kind towards it, even though I acknowledge its flaws. And that is because I, I, I alluded to last time, but I'll say it now. Guillermo del Toro, specifically Pan's Labyrinth, was the reason I stopped watching movies and started at least exploring the idea of making them, truly. So his work means a god-awful lot to me. Um, now, over the years, I have gained... I, I'm not, I'm not like, I still have rose-tinted glasses when I look at his work, but I can at least separate bias now. Mm -hmm. I, I, it took Pacific Rim to do that. Let's be uh -huh. clear. Let's, but anyways, what I'm saying is I know I'm a fanboy, but this movie just absolutely shattered my soul. It gave me everything I could have wanted for a movie like this, and then some. It was visually stunning. It had really some remarkable, and I do say performances. I know it's an animated movie, but it had some truly fantastic voice performances, like really remarkable stuff. And I just remember sitting there, and I watched this over the holidays. I went back to my hometown and was with my folks. And I watched this in my living room, and I just remember being completely, like, I was gone. I was not in my living room for two and a half hours. I was with the movie every second and it really, it really shook me to my core. This will be in my top tier of movies for the year, without a doubt. Um, and it also show, reminded me that you, because people complain about remakes all the time, and as, as they should, let me be clear, but that if you have a genuine, fresh take on something, and you, and your heart is really in it, you have a right to go for it. And because mm -hmm. uh, I've had I've had remake attempts that have, have broken my heart in the wrong way. Uh, I always say the best example is when they remade Ben-Hur. I was I almost I, th I felt like I was going to throw up. That's a travesty. But this is an example where if you really want to go for it, like you're not out you're not out doing it for the money, which credit to Guillermo del Toro. He spent years trying to make this happen. Do it. If, if this is really your vision, go for it. Because I could not believe what I was looking at. It was an entirely original vision of a story we all know. And it was remarkable. Absolutely fucking remarkable. You know, um, I, I, I have a soft spot for Game of Del Toro as well. Um, not as much as C, but I do have a soft spot for him. And I remember one of the things me and C were talking about, and C was actually telling me, well, Al, you know, you kind of need to accept that, that that era is over with, was that I was like, I really miss his Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth era. <laughs> yeah. I really, really miss it. 
and you were like, listen, I love Pan's Labyrinth, but you know, Gamble Toro is not going to be in the same like corner or creative corner for the, the entirety of his career. He's got to do other stuff. And imagine my surprise. I'm watching this. Imagine and- my surprise. <laughs> and it's every, every check mark is just going check, check, check. So first of all, for those that know Gimbal Toro, he he's very much someone who is fascinated uh, by by kind of the the rise of fascism in Europe. You know, uh, his Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth take place both after and during, respectively, the Spanish Civil War, where. Uh, where General Franco, a fascist, took over the country, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Gimbal Torres Pinocchio actually takes place in, like right as like Italy's about to enter World War II during Mussolini's uh, uh, dictatorship of Italy, mm-hmm. right? So already we're kind of back to that, and I don't want to say familiar territory, but we're back to Gimbal Toro kind of observing the human nature of kind of getting wrapped up in these crazy fascistic movements and like doing their best to kind of reject it, kind of kind of how they react to it, you know, right? This is this is something he's very been very explicit about, you know. It's it's kind of it was kind of that thing where he's like I I want to understand how people could have fallen into such an evil ideology and how they fought against it, right? It's it was something that well, was really really I... really studied in with his films one thing that a lot of it and not and not just these two films let's be clear there in his other work he i think he has like four or five movies where one thing that's really incredible that i love is he has a movie with let's just call them monsters but what he proves is that the humans are the real monsters exactly and and yes other movies and directors have shown this but not in the way he has he has such a visceral interpretation of it actually a, a some actually genuinely a literal interpretation of it that you are it is just it is going to be that aspect of his work is going to be remembered forever yeah exactly and um so you get that you get the mixture of you get the mixture of kind of real human suffering and then like or not suffering but you you these stories always seem to be told there's always a tragic element in the human world with these stories and then that tragedy kind of causes the human world to brush up against the magical world right mm-hmm. and then obviously we get Gamble Toro's gorgeous interpretation of magical creatures mm-hmm. you know of maybe you would call them monsters maybe you would call them uh, uh, nature spirits what, what he's really good at basically making you believe that most of the monsters he's created could exist. Yeah, I, I think the best way the best way someone put it is this: is that Guillermo del Toro, the way he creates magical otherworldly creatures, is that they either are a reflection of humanity, or he creates like, oh, this is this is how, like, you like you would this is how like the the fair people the fae, this is how. I think they would have really been if they truly existed, you know? 
that this, actually, and that the best example of that is in a combination of the two Hellboy movies and Pan's Labyrinth. That's yes. where you really see that. Yeah, where you're like, where you're like, nature is not necessarily bad, but it's also not necessarily good in relation to humanity. It just is. Yeah. And I really, really appreciate it. And you see that here in Pinocchio. So, folks, for those who are like me, who are like, ah, oh, I miss Guillermo del Toro when he was like in that in that creative space. This is this is that. This is that in full form. And quite frankly, I know a lot of people say, oh, but it's animation. This is as strong as something like Devil's Backbone or Pan's Labyrinth. You know, it's mm -hmm. as strong. I think a lot of people might say, like, oh, like, how could it be as strong or as visceral as those films when it's rated PG? Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. Guillermo Torres has admitted, yeah, it's rated PG, but I never made this movie explicitly for kids mm -hmm. i just you know i was like i'm working in this pg space because i'm telling I'm, I'm telling a story that is pretty pretty much would be considered pg in today's world mm -hmm. and you know so keep that in mind don't think like oh i'm watching a little kids movie no no this still has the heavy themes that gimbal toro is known to work in and make metaphors and allusions to it's just you know it's an animation and there's just not like like over the top rated R violence or, or, or you know, cursing, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it, again, for those people who are like, oh, like, I'm not saying this is a spiritual sequel to Pan's Labyrinth, but it's, it's, it's kind of, a it's, it's the closest we're going to get. It's the closest we're going to get. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, I think the reason, now that I'm thinking about it, the reason why this feels like such his older work, and I, I want him to maybe realize that, oh, people like when I go in this direction, then again, I've learned it. If I've learned anything, Guillermo del Toro is just going to do what he wants to do at this point. But I hope he realizes that people like it when he goes in this direction. This is when he has the most success. And the reason why he, it's so back to his roots is because you yourself just said he started working on this after Devil's Backbone. So it has that ancient part of him that's been around for so long Yeah, that it's it can't help but come forth in that way. Exactly. I think one of the one of the ways this is so obvious is just in the design of Pinocchio himself. Mm -hmm. um, folks, if you've seen the trailer, you can tell that a big, big way that this is different from other Pinocchio adaptations is that, quite frankly, Pinocchio is a little scary. Is a little scary, you know. Um, he's a little scary. His how, how do I put this? His they save it with the eyes for the record, but yeah, he's a yeah. little scary. He he's scraggly. He's very scraggly. He he looks. You might even say he looks unfinished, or he's definitely unpolished. He's rough. He's literally rough around the edges. Of, yeah. uh, he's very much. He he's very much into that leaning of an unfinished puppet versus a puppet that you can almost forgive yourself for thinking is a real boy, mm -hmm. and that already because you know Guillermo del Toro loves giving that. I don't want to say movie monster, but you know what I mean. Where where he <laughs> where where Pinocchio becomes more of a creature and less of a person, mm -hmm. and his design is really really drives that home, you know. Mm -hmm. Like uh, he only has one ear because Geppetto. So Geppetto basically makes him in a in a fit of drunken despair, and he only has one ear. Like he's really half finished. His whole mm -hmm. his whole body's uneven, mm -hmm. and you know it, it literally. He's like the puppet version of a really roughly put together snowman. And the sense that you're like, oh, I see the eyes, the mouth, the ears, the nose. Yeah. But, 
you know, it's definitely you would not de call it a person. You'd be like, oh, it's 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 a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so already there, you have this big differentiating aspect between this film and other Pinocchio adaptations, mm -hmm. where they try their hardest to make you go like, no, it's it's something that could very well become a boy. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's also expressed because Pinocchio, when Pinocchio comes to life, uh, well, actually, just to give a very quick kind of setup of this movie and how this movie is different. So, again, like I said, this movie takes place in Mussolini's Italy, uh, like right before or right at the start of World War II. Yeah. Um, Geppetto actually, Geppetto is a toy maker, is a, is a, is a carpenter who has a son named Carlo, right? And one day, and he loves Carlo. He's absolutely, a, he's, he's a widow, widower who loves his only son, right? Mm -hmm. And he, we get this really beautiful montage of him and his son and their life together. It's really they beautiful. Really, it's really beautiful, and they really hold on that for a long time. They which, do, they do. It's, that's, that's, I was worried about that as it's going, it's like, well, this is concerning, and then it's like, oh, I see why they did that. Yeah, so... You know, and unfortunately, tragically, during during an, an, uh, a bombing raid, Carlo dies. And it doesn't matter that we know that's coming. It's still really fucking sad. It really is. And, you know, uh, there, there was this whole thing where Carlo was looking for a perfect pine cone so that his dad could uh, could bury the pine cone and they can get a new tree. A new tree would grow in to replace a tree that they cut down for for Geppetto's various carpentry activities. Uh, so he, all that's left of Carlo is the pine cone. He plants the, he plants the pine cone. It grows into a tree. And in a fit of drunken rage, Geppetto's just mad at God, mad at the world that his son is gone. He cuts down the tree and drunkenly tries to put together this really rough looking puppet that, you know, he kind of abandons and, for, gets himself up to bed while this is happening uh we're introduced to the cricket like in the story you know it's a cold night the cricket comes in and uh the cricket played by Owen mcgregor basically is like you know what i want to start writing my memoirs how about i i live in uh a, this tree and geppetto when he brings it in and stuff the the cricket's like i i can't believe he turned my house into a puppet i don't care i'm still gonna live in it uh, so then we're introduced to the blue fairy or in this one they call the the wood sprite and again you see Guillermo del Toro's influence aesthetic in this shine through the that's the most del Torian design yes that's a word but yeah so so this is not oh a pretty lady in no. a blue dress with with fairy wings no 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 this is very much a uh, the the old fair folk this is very much the fae we yeah. get this almost human looking creature covered by blue you know doesn't really work on our on our physical plane no but, not but down with it not down with it uh you know but it saw the suffering that geppetto went through and it feels bad for geppetto and the the the, the fairy played by tilda swin to great effect brings the puppet to life and tells the puppet be Geppetto's son. And uh, the cricket's like, wait, what, what, what's going on? Why is this crazy creature looking, scary looking thing giving doing this to my house? I have, I have, I have rights to my home basically. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the fairy's like, okay, if, 
if you can be this this boy's conscience, I will grant you any wish you want. And the cricket's like, oh, okay, I guess that's a fair deal. So Pinocchio comes to life, and the the I'm not going to go further than that, but just know that it there are some parts of the original story that play out just in a del toro way and then there are new things he adds to it right yeah uh, again the big thing to keep in mind though is that he really did think him and patrick McHale really did think through what's what about a child that just came to life would be scary the fact that they have they have no reference point of of proper human etiquette and behavior so when geppetto sees pinocchio for the first time it's this it's this raw personification of the id of the human id right mm -hmm. where it's like i want to do everything i want to do everything no you shouldn't do this you need to obey me i don't know what that is I'm... and it's scary especially when it's this wooden thing that running is... around yeah it's it's scary but you know it's also kind of heartwarming in a way which you expect from Gabriel Toro, where he makes the scary with the heartwarming together yeah. you know it's it's totally his wheelhouse and that's and that's the thing like i think what's remarkable about this movie a besides it finally being made but b it it does this so a, a lot of people are comparing this a little bit to um aspects of of uh Nightmare Before Christmas, in the sense that it's just this very dark claymation, so to speak. But they couldn't be farther away because one is this kind of, I'll say it, a little hokey, silly, crazy, ridiculous, uh, though very good, uh, sto uh, subversion on Christmas. That's sort of like just this wild musical that's all over the place. And this is this very intimate intimate uh, story on basically the the limits and boundlessness of love and life in certain ways. God, I'm giving it such a weird, sappy view on it. But it really is. It's this wonderful version of what I realized at the end of the movie, which I think is actually a really great message, is all life has to be is that you keep going. That's all it has to yeah. be. Yeah, I would. I get. I think what you're trying to say, C, is that whereas Nightmare Before the Nightmare Before Christmas is pretty light on the theme. I mean, it's it's about Christmas ultimately. Yeah. Uh, this is very much about the nature of life, the nature of death, kind of the nature, the human nature of grief and moving on, and also like being being your own person, not trying to live up to the expectation of of what you can't be, right? It's it's very much very mature themes where when when you watch this because you're so entranced by it when you think about it, you're like wow like we're talking about death life and death in a kids movie and in a very serious way there's no there's no like light metaphor to be like well we're not really we're not literally talking about death but you know what we're talking about right they're very but much the like they they very much are like no this is death this is life this is how things are this is how things could be. This is how things shouldn't be. and But the guess... way they handle, and I won't go too much into this, but the way they handle Pinocchio's developing understanding of life and death is that's what sep that bit and another specific scene, but that concept separates this movie from being good to being fantastic. 
for me. Yeah. And ha- and handling that in a way that a you can confidently show a child and not be concerned with how they're understanding it. It's exactly. that good. Exactly. That's the brilliance of it. It's like they're explaining because they split I love when they explain this concept to Pinocchio over a period of time, not all at once. They don't they don't dump just a bunch of metaphors on him. It's this overtime process and he starts to get it. And even when he gets it, he doesn't fully get it, but he kind of gets it. And he keeps going. And it's just this incredible way to demonstrate it. And at first, what I love, because, so, God, I really don't want to say much here. But at first, Pinocchio thinks that the get, the way he lives, the way he's been brought brought about this world, is really silly and fun. And he handles it in such a, in, in a way that a kid would handle it. And I'm so glad they started out that way because I realized he's handling it in a way. If you ever want, if you've ever been a kid and you've done make believe, he's handling it that way. He's handling real life like make believe, and it's that is the perfect way to to show a young audience this. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's it's one of those things where where like you said, it's incredible when Gamaldor says like, I didn't, I I made this knowing it was going to be a PG, but not necessarily for children in mind. That being said, children can watch this with their families and they can have a conversation afterwards. And I'm like, that's, that's the best way to, to make a kid's movie, honestly. Yeah. Um, so something we, we, we touched on it, but I, I think needs to be said. Uh, the performances. Straight up, the, the best performance in this film is David Bradley as Geppetto. So David Bradley, Walder Frey, you guys, you've seen him in everything where he pretty much plays the same thing, a version yeah. of a grouchy old man. And he does it great. He does it great. I mean, it pays his bills. He's yeah. not going to complain. Yeah. I, I got to say, this is this is the best work he's ever done. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, at least in terms of the, 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 stu- the television film stuff, this is the best work he's ever done. I what, His performance is both heart-wrenching. It's both like inspiring it's 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 just so multifaceted and you're just like oh my god you i've never felt like let's be real here geppetto's kind of he he, in in every adaptation uh, of this story he's always like one of the thinner characters he's just there to be the the loving father for pinocchio Mm -hmm. right in this one no he's an actual guy he's a grieving he's a grieving man who's lost his entire family he's lost his shining light in his son then this sort of abomination keeps saying it that it's his new son and he's like what the what the hell but he's like i don't know what to do about this yes you're, you're not supposed to be here what you the know fuck? but then you know pinocchio just you know the the joyousness that is pinocchio kind of rubs off on him it, it, it's really really multifaceted and so i read that uh Guillermo del toro originally wrote this for john hurt and i'm not surprised this this is a role that John Hurt would have given 110% and knocked it out of the park. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, he died a few years ago from cancer. Uh, so David Bradley, uh, Guillermo del Toro worked up a working relationship with David Bradley while working on The Strain, that FX show about vampires. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, like, I, I, 
when when I think of David Bradley, I was like, oh yeah, he's that character. He's gonna make a good Scrooge one day if he hasn't already. Which I'm shocked that hasn't happened. I but... know, right? I'm shocked. Well, as well, actually, let me just say the director of Moneyball and uh, Foxcatcher, he is working on his next big movie is a uh, is a uh, Christmas a Christmas Tale. So maybe, yeah, or maybe a... Christmas yeah. Carol. Christmas Carol, jeez. So maybe, who knows? But. Oh yeah, I I don't know your thoughts on David Bradley, but I was I was blown away by his performance. Like like it, it, I was so blown away, I was like, you know, there should be a category for voice acting in the Oscars. Well, no, maybe not a category. I I see why they don't want to do that, but at least like nominate someone for it. At this point, we've had first of all, I know James Earl Jones has been nominated for other Oscars, but come on, like his voice acting is legendary at this point i i know so i so the 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 award ceremony for chess animation are called the annies yeah. i know he's gonna win best voice acting in the annies that's oh, that's yeah, that's already a, a, a confirmed a, a confirmed right but yeah it's it's really good again it's just so surprising because you have these actors who are proud out and proud character actors you know that's how they make their money that's how they make their living and when you see them just give such a transcendent performance where you're like i had no idea you had that in you it just it's it's just really really good to see and, and to show you that you know Guillermo del toro marcus stephenson the the voice director whose credit i'm not looking at right now so i'm sorry that i couldn't credit yeah. them but it just shows that wow this this is David Bradley's Geppetto is up there with the with the upper tier of Guillermo del Toro characters. He's just so well realized, and I, I'm not gonna lie. At the end, like there were many t parts of this movie where David Bradley was making me cry. So, yeah. uh, then you know we have uh, Gregory Mann as Pinocchio, and listen, Gregory Mann is a little kid. You yeah. know, I, I will say this though. So there is some singing in this movie. It's not a full on musical, but there is singing. He has the voice of an angel. He does. He does. And I have a feeling that they would chose it based on that initially, which is fair. Um, it's pretty remarkable. Um, but and and yes, he's a child actor. He he did exactly what was asked of him. But I watched the behind the scenes video that you can watch on Netflix as well about the making of it. And Del Toro does talk about how he had to really work with him a lot because. He, child actors, they'll get, as he put it, he says, they'll get actory. And you have to break, you have to get them out of that. They have to act like kids again. So apparently what they would do is a lot of the lines that he did, they would, at the end of each line, to make them, you know, laugh or think it was funny, they found out he would, if he said the word dummy, he'd kind of think that was funny. So in a lot of the lines, apparently, right, at the, right as the line ends, they're cutting out him saying dummy a lot. And that oh. like so apparently that keeps him that kept that's why he's so jovial throughout the movie it's like okay that can work oh that's that's ingenious I, they I, also apparently it no or or whatever the kid would find a word the kid would find funny like even if it's the kid just sticking out his tongue and going like if that helps him mm -hmm. but they also admitted that they actually waited a little while for him to do the music because the songs which okay there's a song in here that's going to get nominated for an Oscar. Let's be clear. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's both popular enough and good enough. Um, but apparently the songwriter for the music was having so much trouble going back and forth with Del Toro with what these songs should be 
that they had to start recording the voice actors before the music was completely finished. So they finished the voice acting and gotten well into a number of aspects. And then they finished the music and they actually had to redo some animation for it, apparently. Because mm-hmm. they realized, oh, geez, we're not, it's not quite right. So they had to go back, mm-hmm. um, which thank God they did. Because there's a song, all I'll say, it's called Chow Papa. And it's that song. There are, there are two great songs in there. And that's, that song is incredible. Also, uh, not Geppetto, sorry. Cr- the Cricket's song, which they handle in an incredible way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> throughout the whole movie. I don't, we can't say what it is. You got to see it. But you do, when you hear the song, it's really good. But the, the way they handle that is genius. I, 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 I just kept thinking to myself, like, okay, Ewan McGregor, you... How are you not in like a Broadway musical right now? He he actually like we, we've, I, he we've will known be. He could, we've known he could sing since Moulin Rouge. It's just yeah. Speaking speaking of uh, uh, Ian McGregor as the cricket. So there I'm okay. Did did you ever read the original Pinocchio book? No. Okay, I have. It was I had it as an assignment when in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not gonna say much about the cricket. The cricket is in there. But the cricket ejects pretty early. Oh, uh, Pinocchio kills him, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. That's right. And, and oh, and, so and that they, makes so much they sense. do a great shout out to that in this in this film. Yeah. And just the way Ewan McGregor voice acts those situations, oh, it it always brings about that levity that you love that you need when things can get a little heavy, but it's never too much. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. Ian McGregor, you know, he's he's doing such a fine job because the cricket character, you know, the the cricket character is there to kind of not not to be the jokester, but to to bring the brightness of life back into the picture in the sense mm-hmm. of like, yes, I know things suck, I I know things are bad, but. But this is something beautiful about. It. He's there to remind people that life is beautiful. The mm-hmm. audience and the characters, and it, he does a swell job at it. That being said, <laughs> his last monologue, you're gonna. You're, I was sobbing. I'm not gonna lie. I was sobbing. <laughs> okay. Can, okay. To be clear, the part, the scene that actually made me cry. To be clear. Okay. So I'll just say this. This movie does not have Pleasure Island per se. It is a different version of it. It is there. There is a sequence like that, but it's very different. And in that sequence, Pinocchio talks with one of the kids. And that conversation made me cry. That conversation is so good and so gut-wrenching. That's what got me. That's the scene that got me. Yeah. um, So... Um, that kid would, was voiced by Finn Wolfhard, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that, I was about to get to that. So, uh, Ron Perlman plays uh, Podesta. Podesta basically roughly means the mayor of a town in Italy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so he's basically the mayor, right? And obviously, because this is in Mussolini's Italy, he's a fascist mayor. And Finn he's Wolfhard, a gen- he's a general kind of kind of. And Finn Wolfhard plays his son Candlewick. Uh, I, I gotta say that subplot involving them, those two, it's, uh, that's like, I, I, again, when, when Guillermo Toro needs to bring fascism down a peg, like even in a PG 13 setting, it's still tough to watch where you're like, Oh God, the 
the, the horrors that these people did to not only their own community members, but also their own, their own families. It's just, uh, and again, you know, Ron Perlman is do, does great work because Podesta at first isn't a villain, but then you realize, oh no, this is definitely a, a reprehensible man. Mm-hmm. And he just does such, such a good job. Like he, cause you know, he's, he's been voice acting for, I think his entire career, he's been a voice actor as long as he's been a film actor. Yeah, he does a really good job. And and you know, Finn Wolfhard, film. So in our last review, I I said Sadie Sink is probably the best of the Stranger Things guys, uh, kids as an actor right now. Uh, But Finn Wolfhard, like he's because he's getting so much work, he'll probably be top three when it's all said and done of these kids' careers. He's also handled his career the smartest. For oh, the yeah, definitely. Well, okay, Sadie Sink maybe now with The Whale and everything, who knows. Yeah. But he, you, if you look at all the kids, he's maintained his innocence the most, you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't mean that in any weird way. I genuinely mean he's he's made sure to maintain a, you can tell he's maintained a nor- more normal life. Yeah. Or he's at least tried to as much as he yeah. can. Um, then we have uh, uh, Christoph Waltz as Count Volpe. He's, he is the, the, the guy you're like, okay, this is the, the villain of, of the picture. Which and- actually, by the way, sorry, the... So you, so the guy who wrote over the garden wall, he, it was his idea to make that guy the, a much bigger villain than he was supposed to be. Uh, that was a major change on his part. That's what mm-hmm. he had to contribute. And, and listen, Christoph Waltz is an underrated voice actor. Uh, like, I, I don't know about you, but did you ever feel like you were like, you were like, I can't imagine any other voice coming out of this guy except Christoph Waltz. Like it, it was like, no, it was it was pretty damn good. It, it was, was that perfect. Great. Like there's some voice acting where you're like, oh yeah, that's totally this guy I'm seeing, not the act, like not the actor that I know for a fact is a, exists in real life. Like you're like, oh no, that's that's his voice. And so Chris Hall well, most re- that was most of the case. Yeah, um, but uh, he does he does really good work. Um, Kate Blanchett. She plays a monkey. This is so. So I know this. I actually know the story behind that as well. Please, please. Apparently, share. while while filming um, the previous, she was in Del Toro's previous movie, uh, Nightmare Alley. She they were talking and they really bonded like on that set because she loved that role, which I get. Even even with your critique of the movie, you can get why Kate Blanchett loved oh, that role. Yeah, There's no yeah, denying totally, it. totally. It's a it's a great role. It's so much fun. So she's like, what's your next project? And he's telling him, she's, he's telling her about, um, about Pinocchio. And he's like, I need, she's like, I need to be in this. And he's like, well, the only thing that's left is a monkey. And she's like, I'll do it. And credit to her. Listen, Kate Planchette for the record, guys, she's going to win an Oscar this year. Don't worry about it. But yeah, not for the monkey, but she, she, you don't know that. Listen, if that happens, I'm going to laugh my ass off. And that, that, you know, it's funny. She gets nominated and you and I have to both agree. Well, she has to win. She has to. She has to. She has to. But she, so here's what's funny. She does a great job, like genuinely. Like I didn't buy it. I didn't know it was Kate Blanchett until I see the credits. I'm like, what the fuck? Not not just that. Like I kept thinking in my mind that. Dee Bradley Baker is watching this and going like, oh shit, she's gutting for my job. For those, <laughs> well, know, for those that don't know, Dee Bradley Baker is the guy in animation who does all the animal sounds. 
if if there was like an animal that you know just either never talked, just chirped or or, or he's barked, the guy. He's the guy who does it. Like Google, look up videos on YouTube of him. It's pretty remarkable. It's crazy. it's pretty remarkable, and I guarantee you, he's like Kate Blanchett's gunning for my job. God damn. That bitch. Uh, <laughs> but no, here's what, here's what's funny. Do you know what she admitted for how she nailed the role? How what? She said she just watched Guillermo and just mimicked him. I made him a monkey. <laughs> She's like, I made Guillermo a monkey, and it's like, oh my god. And if you look at it, the little graggly voices, it's like, oh shit, that is it. It's oh like, my god, I love it. I love it. Uh, She's like, I just mimicked him, and she like he's and in the. First of all, guys, if you watch the movie, also watch the behind-the-scenes featurette on Netflix. It's 30 minutes. It's fantastic. And she genuinely talks about, it's like, I would just watch him in the, in, the, in the booth while I'm recording and just do that, but more exaggerated. We also have Tilda Swinton as the, the Blue Fairy. She's credited as the Woodspread. She actually plays two roles in this. I don't want to say what the, what the second role is. It's kind of a bit of a surprise. Yeah. But I, I like, when... When I heard that Tilda Swinton was voicing the what would be the Blue Fairy in Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, I was like, "Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. That that works. That like like and listen, I have nothing against Cynthia Ervo Irvino. Mm -hmm. uh, she played the blue the Blue Fairy in the Disney version. Yeah, um, she but, did fine. But I'm like, when I think of some someone who's like an actual like fair folk, I'm like, yeah." It's, if it came out that Tilda Swinton was actually the last remaining wood elf in existence on the I'd planet. I'd be like, I thought that was, I'd be like old news. It's like, yeah, I'd be like, I thought everybody knew this, you know? So it's like, like guys, for the record, look, watch, if you really want to see her play an ethereal character, there's a few, but watch where she first gets that is Orlando. Oh yeah. Out, holy shit. Yeah, I would. I coming, she's coming back apparently in Constantine too, in some way. Oh, she better. But yeah, well, she, her is the angel Gabriel. Jesus, she was yeah. amazing. So the thing is, like, when I heard Tilda Swinton's the Blue Fairy, I was like, that. I, I had the same reaction I had when they announced John Bernthal as the Punisher. I'm like, well, yeah. Have you looked? <laughs> have you seen them? Yeah. <laughs> Makes total sense. And uh, finally, you know, Tom Kenny, SpongeBob SquarePants, you uh, the 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 bad guy in um, Adventure Time. He has like a little cameo in here of sorts. It's picture perfect. It's pitch perfect. You, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, so no, I like. Uh, uh, I like puppets. Sorry. <laughs> that was that was really funny. Yeah, that and was. Like, and then it's like, I like puppets. It was are... really really funny. And that then was... it got really dark. Well, of course it did. It's never mind. It's, yeah, it's Guillermo del Toro. Uh, yeah. it, it's fascism. It's... Um, <laughs> uh, the 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 one thing I will say. Uh, we, we, we kind of mention it in our previous reviews when yeah. it's when it really stands out, and and to me this really stood out the music. Yeah, that we already said that there's some songs in this, but outside, so the score is uh, written by Andre Desplat, who everyone he's he's done at least like what, what's pro what would you think is his most famous score? Mm, I was going to say know. Lust Caution, but I know that's a pretty niche movie. That's a niche movie, yeah. I don't think... I didn't really know about that movie till I got to know you. Um, um, well, he also did uh, The Queen. That's probably his most famous, but he... You've got to go a layer deep with him to get yeah. to know what his work... Yeah, like, he's not... Like, listen, his work is high, high... He, he does very good work. Yeah. He's just not one of those recognized names in, uh, in film composing yeah. or film score. But there are a lot of score, like that. This score, oh, 
this score. It's just, it's this wispy melody that's melancholic, but also optimistic. Uh, And again, when it plays at the end, you're just going to be sobbing. I'm telling you people, I'm telling you, this movie demands tissues because you will be sobbing at the end of it. Yeah, it's, it's, Jesus. And it, it helps that like, the reputation for how good this is has been building over time. Like it wasn't just like, I'm, I'm a little saddened that it didn't get a full big splash, but people have caught on to how good this thing is. Yeah. I I will say, um, so the reason Klaus just became a phenomenon and was because it was a Christmas movie that came out like in early December. Right. Uh, we uh, didn't watch it till right before the holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Pinocchio didn't doesn't didn't have that going for it. In fact, I would say the only thing it had going for it was that Disney's Pinocchio came out either like the week before or like a couple days before. And folks, I, I'm just gonna give you a quick review of that movie because I I had seen I had finally got around to watching the original Disney's Pinocchio. Yeah. Uh, the 19 the one that came out in the 1940s. Which is a technical marvel in its own right. Oh, yeah. Be clear. It, I, I, as I was watching, I was like, they were doing all this stuff in the 40s? Oh, my God. It, I was, I was like, listen. I'm the not whale say, sequence took a year to do. Yeah, I was so impressed. I, I was impressed. I, I'm not in, I, I think the film is good, but I'm not as in love with it as like other Disney diehards are with it. But yeah. I respect it for what, for what it did. Uh, then I saw the Robert Zemeckis one and listen, Robert <laughs> Zemeckis, you know, listen, he's fallen on hard times. His, uh, motion capture animation company, like Ain't went doing down, so great. no, it went down in flames straight oh, I up. I didn't know that. Oh. Uh, he was convinced he like, that it was the future. Well, it's the craziest thing. Him and, and James Cameron had the same like prediction motion capture is going to be the future of cinema. The thing was, was that James Cameron had enough wherewithal to be like, but the technology is not there yet. And Robert Zemeckis was like, well, it's I'm been, just, he's going to do it anyways. I'm, I'm going to force the issue and I'm going to force all of you to have to deal with like, like crazy animated humans with like plastic skin and eyes that look deader than a doornail. Listen, the, the Polar Express is, so I was over Thanksgiving, uh, they, one of my cousins was flipping through channels and they put on the Polar Express and I'm like, oh wow, this movie is actually really beautiful. Oh my God. It's no, like, okay. The, moment the, I saw the one Polar place. Express, yeah. the Polar Express. I I was I used to tell people that's one of my favorite Christmas movies because it's so beautiful like like the story the the like l- l- make no mistake yeah. the story the performances in the Polar Express is beautiful and it just really fills you with the Christmas spirit. But once 4K came around and I saw that on a 4K <laughs> HDR TV, the Ooh. only thing that was in my mind going like these people are dead. They're just empty husks. <laughs> Oh my God. And when they do crazy choreography, I'm like, this is an abomination. So long story short, Robert Zemeckis. All I'll say is you remember the blonde nerdy kid? That's a horror movie. Oh, oh. that's a horror movie. Also like, 
also, so that move real fast. The big reveal is that Tom Hanks is everybody. But listen, you look at it in HD and you're like, well, yeah, it's in 4K. Clear. You're gonna be like, oh, that's Tom Hanks. That's Tom Hanks. That's Tom Hanks. So, so the the thing being is that Robert Zemeckis, you know, fell on hard times because that the animation company that did Polar Express, Christmas Beowulf. Carol, Beowulf. That was it. Mar Mars needs moms. Jesus. Oh, we. Oh, I forgot. It, it basically crashed and burned and he basically since then has started doing almost exclusively like uh hired gun work like yeah. and make no mistake he's had some big hits with like flight um uh yeah. the 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 one with joseph gordon levitt oh like, where he's crossing the wire on the towers yeah, yeah yeah i forgot what that was called um but he's had some misses he's uh, uh, welcome and, uh, tomorrow and everybody yeah I would say Disney's Pinocchio is worse than Welcome to Marwin. Can I just point out, this is the same man that made Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's what makes it so depressing. This is the same man who made Who Framed Roger Rabbit, all three uh, Back to the Future movies. He made um, Forrest Gump, which, Jesus Christ, that movie, too. He made, um, he made uh, Castaway. Castaway. That's right. He made Castaway, which you know what? A lot of people like to say that that's his that's his real farewell movie. Like that's really because he's saying in, in a lot of ways he's if you rewatch that movie, he's saying goodbye in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then he just keeps making more crap. Yeah. So listen, Disney's Pinocchio, the remake is god awful. It's 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 offensive. And, and I don't say that lightly because I hate, you know, I always roll my eyes when people tell me that movie was offensive. No, this movie's offensive just because it basically takes everything. It takes every beat that was a beautiful beat in the original and decides to quote unquote hip it up. Mm -hmm. Oh, but the abs but then the pure offense is that they literally take a scene to just show you all the IP that Disney has. You can oh, find right. it on YouTube. It, it's really bad. It's it's awful. I've so heard. so you know, I, I strongly believe that D Netflix thought, oh, if we release this close to the same time as the other Pinocchio, people might watch this as well. And I think what happened is that unfortunately, people were so disgusted by Disney's Pinocchio that if they came across this on their feed on Netflix, they were like, oh no, I don't, I'm not, I don't need to see it. But credit. Again, credit to the quality of the animation, of the performances, of the storytelling. Also, low-key, thank God for Taylor Swift. She was the first famous person. To yes, say. I was about like, to bring that up. She at, Well, go on. What were we going to say? I was going to say, because this movie is just so overwhelmingly amazing, that, it like, like, the cream of the crop always rises to the top. And sooner or later, people were going to start noticing. And thankfully, uh, uh, Taylor Swift decided to make a public service announcement, which I'm, I never thought I'd say this. I'm grateful for Taylor Swift for saying something on her social media. Yeah. But yeah, no, this, yeah. <laughs> Still so crazy that what brought eyeballs was Taylor Swift. I guarantee you. Well, she's Gabriel, at that level. Gabriel Toro is going to be like, well, do I have to cast her in my next movie? Damn it. <laughs> oh, he might actually, you know what? If he wins the Oscar for best animated feature, he might. Yeah. He actually might and, have and to. And you know, and right before we give our final uh final ratings on this film, yes. which is going to be pretty apparent if you've yeah. been listening to this review. Uh so best best animated feature. So I I love this film. I I really really do. Yeah. Um I've seen 
not all, but I've seen a lot of, or I'd, I'd say I've seen almost half of all the animated films that uh, are probably going to be in the running for this category. Mm-hmm. Um, Pixar's, I, I'll be surprised if Pixar gets in. I like, I like oh, Disney, no. in gen- Disney in general, for the most part, did not show the fuck up. No, they did not. They did not. Let me put it to you this way. And, and, and they see- kind of know it too, which is weird. And C is going to be shocked by this. I I do think Pinocchio is the better film, but I got to say the two best animated features is Gimbal Taurus Pinocchio and uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Uh, this is what you tell me. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I think Pinocchio is so good. And who knows? I, I still haven't. There's still a lot of a lot of 2022 movies I haven't seen yet. But I like, I, and I'm not saying I'm expecting it to happen, but in the crazy universe where it does happen, if Pinocchio got a best picture nomination, I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't be like, that's wrong. I would say yeah. like, Oh no, that makes sense. I would be surprised. And I say this just knowing the Academy, I would be surprised, but I would, I would completely agree with it. Yeah. That that's the best way to put it. I would be surprised, but I would completely agree with it. I now, if it doesn't get nominated for best animated feature, I will, I will. Oh, that's going to be bad. The, the Academy has lost all its, all its institutional uh, respect because quite, quite frankly, listen, if strange world or Lightyear gets in over Pinocchio, because you know, what, here? first what off, here? you know, one of those is getting in. Let's be no, clear. I, I, and the thing is, I would say probably Strange World. Probably Strange World because Disney puts most of its weight behind it, the things it's more closely associated with. And again, yeah. Lightyear is with Pixar. Yeah. Uh, and I guess Turning Red came out last year, but Turning Red. Turning red, honestly, is a level of quality I would have expected from a DreamWorks production. That actually might get nominated though too. Not that uh, no comment on that. But no, yeah. no. Like if someone said turning red or light year, I'd be like turning red every day, all day, every day. Like light year, light year is just a bad attempt at a sci-fi, at a serious sci-fi. It's a bad attempt at like like how Nolan would do a a, a space force movie. Yeah, but in any case, in any case, yeah, I think you know, Netflix, Netflix, you know, has enough weight to push around because Netflix was able to get Klaus on the ballot. Um, but yeah. I would, I would be very surprised if even the other Netflix stuff, like the Sea Beast, I haven't seen the Sea Beast, but I did see Wendell and Wild. Like, if one of those two gets in over Pinocchio, no, I, that's I'm, not okay. I'm, I'm going to be shocked. This again. This is the best animated feature just because it's like, obviously the passion is there. You, you can't really, if you don't do stop motion well, it's very, very apparent. And this is done well. Like you almost think these people are alive. These well, figures the, are alive. The trick with that was the eyes in that. Yes. Eyes. Cause yes. so many stop motion and actually some to animation get the eyes wrong. Mm-hmm. No, the eyes, it was crazy what they did. Yeah. So, C, give give us your final thoughts and your rating. This movie fucks so hard you'll cry. You'll cry. That's how good it is. It's it is really a remarkable piece of work. Um, go see it. If it's in theaters, which I know it won't be, 
do that. Actually, if it, if they if they rebroadcast it in some theaters and I'm able to easily get to it, I will go back and see that. But it this is a remarkable film. Um, it will be in my top ten. It's truly it'll be in my top five. Fuck it. Um, it is truly it's. I was so happy that this was made. I'm so happy that everyone who was involved was not only involved, but in many ways got their due for what they deserved. Like, this is such a good movie to have happened in so many ways. I'm so happy about it. And it's... This movie fucks in every way. I I, I, I know people are saying, well, you're not critiquing it. I can't figure out what's wrong with it. Yeah, me either. Like, like there's, there's one moment... Maybe that's a little childish, but it's a PG movie. I'm not mad at it. I wasn't mad. That's it. And that's not even a critique. It's just a moment. It's like, yeah, there's a moment that leans into the the childlike aspect of it a little more for a minute. And that's not so bad. The that's okay. only critique I could give it is that David Bradley's not really a singer, but that's the point of the song is him singing to his son, not, not being a professional singer. So that was yeah. like my only critique was that when the movie starts, like uh, David Bradley's not a really good singer, but I mean, then you're like kind of swept up by the lyrics and like the emotion he's giving it. And you're like, oh, this is so sweet. Yeah. Every song. Okay. There's one in so song in there that's not great, but it's not supposed to be. And that's. Oh, yeah. Ex yeah totally. And that's, that's, you're fine with it. You're like, okay, yeah, that, that's, that's to move the plot along. That's fine. I bet you know, it's, yeah. You know, see, I, I agree with everything you said. This is, this is, this movie fucks so hard. You will cry. You will cry. You will go to bed sobbing. I, and in a good way, because uh, this, you know, a, a lot of people got into Guillermo del Toro because of Devil's Backbone, because of Pan's Labyrinth. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't have been watching those movies at like 12, 13. Um, but this is one where you would be like, if you have kids and you want to kind of experience, want them to experience what makes Del Toro so special. Cause you can't show your kids Pan's Labyrinth. No, you, you just, can't. You just can't. I, I, I know the, the poster's a little misleading. But yeah. No, like you should be like, oh, well, but it's fantasy. It's like, it's like not all fantasy is appropriate for kids. It's like, listen, just don't. There's a, yeah. there, but, but this, this yeah. is, this, this is appropriate for kids. Actually, this is Penn's Labyrinth for kids. In a lot it of is, ways. it is, it is straight up. Yeah. Um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's so life affirming. It has, it actually has something to say about the human condition. Um, Del Toro is at the, is kind of back at the peak of his powers when he was making this. So this completes his fascism trilogy. Where he <laughs> Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth, and now Pinocchio. Pinocchio you know? is part of his fascist and, and trilogy. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There, none like obviously people are going to have their their favorites, but I think these are all thematically strong equally. No, these are all great. No movie in this trilogy is bad. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, Marcus Stephenson, I really, really hope some company like Leica or um, uh, what's the company that does uh, 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 Wallace and Gromit? Oh, I know you're talking about. Yeah. One of those two companies, I hope they go like, hey. We, we know you were one of the best animators in our particular field. Yeah, we he need now to... needs his own movie 
like I'm glad Del Toro gave him what he gave him, but that give that man a check and whatever he wants to make. Yeah, exactly. You know, we I really want to see like what 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 he brings into the table. Because yeah, you know, because here's the thing: whatever he makes is gonna be dark. And yeah, because here's very the thing. adult. Here's the thing. I mentioned him earlier in this podcast. Uh, Henry Selick, right? He made he directed a nightmare. A Nightmare Before Christmas. People were really impressed by it. But it took a while before he was able to make something totally his own, which was Coraline. 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 Yeah. And I just recently saw Coraline last year for the first uh, time. Really? Yeah. And all I went was like saying like, holy shit, Henry Selick is, is as much as an auteur as we give to all the other directors, like in animation and in, in live action. And I'm like, I, I want Marcus Stuffinson's Coraline, where it's like, okay, this famous director gave me a shot at making something for him. Now I'm going to make something on my own that's going to impress people. And I'm, and we're going to get that. Whatever. And it's going to take years, and I'm okay with that. Listen, if it's with. If it's with Leica and it takes years, and if I have kids by then, I'm gonna be like, "Come on, kids, we got this is mandatory viewing." Why? But, but yeah, your wife's like, "But it's rated NC-17." <laughs> I doubt it. If, if it's no, with, no, I know. If it's with Leica, it's gonna at worst be rated a PG-13 rated Leica stop motion animation. That, that, first, I of would all, watch that. I would watch that, and you know what? He might, ins- knowing his taste, he might insist on it. He's like, "I'm yeah. not doing PG." Whatever his idea is. Yeah, whatever his idea is. Well, I think we've we've lauded Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio more than enough for this episode. I think I've sucked his wood long enough. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Kept growing and growing. Sorry. This has been. What do you think? I'm Al, and I'm safe. Ciao. Good night, everybody.